we're in a, a new series. It's about two weeks old. Uh, if you want to catch up, you can go on the website and download uh, the previous two messages uh, that we talked about. But last week we uh, spent the time talking about love and respect. And thanks for all the input I got. Some of you loved it. And it was, you were walking around going, love you, honey, respect you, dear. You know, and it was good. And uh, some of you, it was like pulling scabs off for some of you. Like, ow, 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 what did you do that to us for? And, uh, and so I'm glad you had fun interacting with that. And we're going to continue this morning a little farther. It's the NFC Championship, right? And you got the Hawks and the Niners, and it might be a little chippy on the field today. And so there might be some barking and some contesting and some arguments. And so I thought it'd be good to look through what today I call the anatomy of an argument, all right? Not just for football teams, but for uh, marriage. When I uh, do marriage counseling <coughs> for pre- young couples, it's always a lot of fun because they come in with that starry, doe-eyed look, and oh, it's so cool. And, uh, and I always ask them, first question is, what is God's dream for your marriage? And the guy usually gets a smirk on his face. I know that's your dream for your marriage. What's God's dream for your marriage? And then the second question is, how are you going to fight? And they kind of look at you just baffled, like, why would you even ask a question like that? And um, I say, because all couples fight. Not all couples fight the same way, but all couples fight. And the question is, are the rules perceived as fair by each of the parties? And the answer to that almost universally is no. Okay? Because there are some tweaks that go on that skew it in favor of one party uh, or the other. And um, so this morning, the quote here in James is, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? If you go a little farther, um, there's also personalities that are involved, right? So for example, if an Italian, I did that, no, right? Marries a Norwegian, Odds are good that there's going to be some disconnect there in terms of how they connect. Um, Many of us extroverts marry introverts. Yes, we do that, right? And notice that we don't change after 20 years, right? And so that's part of what we have to wrestle with. So when we're looking this morning, there's just huge implications for how this all works out. This verse is instructive because it points to the source of the problem, And I want us to focus there for a second. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Galatians 5, verse 16 and following says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. How many times in marriage have you gotten into uh, a discussion and you got bumped by the Holy Spirit? No, don't say it. Don't say it, right? And then you said it anyways. Right? And um, does anything normally good come out of that? And the answer is no. But this is informing us of something deeper than that. Okay? When we're talking about evil, and the question is, where is evil in the world? Obviously, it must be uh, you know, out there in the world somewhere. Certainly, it's not here this morning. 
And I want to suggest that that's not true. There's an old quote that says, the line of good and evil runs through every human heart. That there is both the great potential for good within us and there is the great potential for evil. How can good people do evil things? Simple, the fall. The fall has stained everything. And so if left to our base natures, we will deteriorate down to the lowest common denominator, not the highest. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that's why we need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be obedient to Scripture because there's a natural pull downhill. And when you let it go downhill, it is almost never good. It is hard work to swim upstream. And this is where the Bible is so different. It lets us know what's wrong with us, right? It lets us know what's wrong with us. Most other books tell you what's right with you, right? And you can do anything. You can accomplish anything you dream of or anything you imagine. The Bible says, well, actually, you got a problem. And the problem is sin. Now, we could spend a whole sermon or two or four or six on that, but um, that's not the purpose of today. So we'll, we'll move on. But I wanted to lock that point as we go into this issue of argument because that's where our sin nature sprouts wings, usually with our words. So, so my question or, um, for today's purposes, the question is, how do quarrels and fights work? How do they happen? Now, I know you're all foreigners to that, and it's never happened in your home, but in other churches, rumor is they struggle with this, all right? And so we ought to look, just in case we ever meet somebody from another church, we could help them out, all right? <laughs> another uh, question is, how do they accelerate? You ever get into one, and it just flashes? You know, just it's like a flashback, boom, and you're like, whoa, we were doing great, what happened, right? And you're just like baffled at, at the speed that it picked up. Well, we're going to look at this this morning, but before we do that, we should probably pray. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this, one of the things I'm seeking this morning is, um, the material I'm covering is uh, well known to me. I have used it hundreds of times in pre-marriage counseling. And so it would be really easy to run off of what I know about it um, and trust that that would... uh, bring what's needed but i know that's false and i know that's a trap lord what we need this morning is an anointing from you a sense of your spirit working among us not everybody's going to hit this the same way or at the same angle Um, we don't have all the same personalities we don't all have the same inner tensions when it comes to conflict and how it works with us but lord if you were to validate it then it would speak across the board And we'd all come away with something pretty significant. So we pray that for the sake of your kingdom and why you redeemed us. It says you turned our world around in that song this morning, Lord. Do some more of that this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, let's get started. I want to try and get your thinking lined up with mine and and get get us kind of all on the same page. So this morning, I want you to think of a continuum, all right? Here's a continuum. And in the middle there, that's perfect middle. Now, it's probably not exactly perfect middle, but it's pretty close for our purposes, all right? If you swing to either side, you're getting to the extreme and you're losing your margin margin and tension builds. Most of us never really hit the perfect middle. I usually see it as I'm flying by it. Hey, there it goes, right? Um, But for most of us, 
we kind of get into a, a place where there's a comfort zone. There's a certain band. Yeah, it's not perfect, but, you know, kind of good enough for who it's for. And uh, as long as I stay within that swing, I'm feeling pretty confident. I feel good. I feel comfortable. I feel relaxed. I'm confident because I know right in that bandwidth, if I stay within that bandwidth, I'm tracking. And I'm tracking pretty close with what the Lord's telling me to do. And I'm tracking pretty close on other things. And it gives me a great sense of assurance. If I shift outside of that, on either side is what I call a tension zone. All right, I'll explain that to you in just a second. If I swing farther than that, <coughs> excuse me, if I swing farther than that, then outside of that, there's a danger zone. Does, that, does this make sense to you? Now, the problem with this diagram is the lines are rigid. Very few things like that are in life. They, these tend to think of them more like membranes and they tend to move and flex and roll and they're not, they got wiggles to them, right? But I can't draw all that on the screen. So you've got to imagine that as you're going along. So um, let's take this a little farther. If I get outside my comfort zone, this is kind of like if you're going to work in the morning and you got lots of time next to, hey, I'm going to stop for a coffee and I'll roll into the office and it's fabulous. So you roll into the coffee place and, uh, you, and all of a sudden you realize, oh no, no wallet, mm, right? Because now things are not so comfortable. Suddenly, not only do I not get my coffee, which creates tension, but number two, I have to run back home. And number three, because I run back home, I've lost my margin. Now I've got to hustle to work, hope I hit the green lights and make it on time. You understand that kind of scenario, right? Not the end of the world. It's not a major crisis. It's not um, going to blow up, you know, into World War III. But, uh, right, suddenly what was a real calm day turns tense. And you can think of a million different things that can create that sort of scenario. Usually what happens, <coughs> excuse me, in this scenario is I try to swing back. All right? But often in the process of course correction, we overamp. And so we usually see middle as we go right by it. And then we end up on the other side of the equation with more tension. And so a day can end up escalating from tension zone to tension zone to tension zone, and we never really get back. You ever have a day that tips like that, right? And it just becomes frustrating through the, and you're like, it started out so well. Then I got out of bed, okay? It's just kind of thing. All right, so... When we are uh, doing this, last week we talked about the fact that men and women see things differently. And by the way, if you're new this morning, again, go to the website, download, uh, you'll get um, caught up. We talked about this uh, love and uh, talked about perception filters and that men tend to see through a respect filter and women tend to see through a love filter. Uh, You can also check out the book uh, Love and Respect by Emerson Egerichs um, that we talked about last week. But in this scenario, uh, men and women are skewed. So if this is normal and balanced, when it comes to guys, we tend to be pulled towards the respect side, the logic side. Now, again, I'm using stereotypical descriptions. I understand some women are very logical and some men are very intuitive, right? But for purposes today, we're just going to go straight stereotypical and we can figure out the other stuff later. But men tend to be pulled towards the logic, 
the respect and logic side. So you can see in that diagram up there, he has a lot more bandwidth, a guy does, to the right than to the left. He gets in trouble quicker on the left because it's skewed that way, and it goes from uh, comfort to tension to danger much more quickly. Now, if you come back to that diagram again and balance it out, and now we come to the gal, with the gals, we tend to be pulled harder. You tend to be, not we. I'm not. Let's get that straight. All right. <clears throat> wow. Head coals are fun. Um, we tend to be pulled towards the love intuition side, right? We see through those filters. And so we process information that way. And so you notice that we get in tr- trouble much quicker on the right side of the diagram and have much more bandwidth on the left side of the diagram. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. If you take these two and you overlay them on top of each other, you have something that looks like this. Now, I'll I'll do this um, to help, but just notice it's the same. Guys, here's your comfort zone, right? Blue to blue. Here you got tension. On this side, tension. Danger, danger. Gals, here you are. Just ignore the blue. Comfort zone, tension, tension. Danger here, danger over here, all right? So when a couple is talking, often what they think is we have this, we're in love. We own everything together. We see everything perfect. We have this wide band of spectrum. We were made for each other. No, actually, the truth is that's not so true. Actually, all you've got is this little narrow wedge of a pie that you think you have in common, right? Now, I have asked my wife permission for this, and she has graciously granted permission for a discussion. Uh, It was an argument. She said, I don't remember it as an argument. It was a discussion, wasn't it? So for our purposes this morning, it's a discussion (laughs) that Pam and I had, and we're going to use a word. Now, at the top of that, you can use, there are hundreds and hundreds of words that you could use, but I will just pick one. And uh, the word we're going to use this morning is vacation, okay, right? When I was a single person, I loved vacations. I'd go to Montana, trout fishing, and just, uh, you know, hike in the Cascades and do all kinds of things and hang gliding and gold dredging. I thought it was fantastic, right? And, uh, and I expected that when I got married, uh, we would do vacations together and they would just be fantastic, right? Because I like vacations, she liked vacations. What could go wrong? We both love vacations, right? And so one day Pam came, we were very early in our marriage, I think it was in the first year, and um, I gotta remember how she worded this. She said, honey, if you could go anywhere in the world on vacation, where would you like to go? And I went, what a wife. <laughs> wow. Ah, this is so, she's actually, asked, this is incredible. And the very first word out of my mouth was, Alaska. Whoa! Okay, now, I said one word. Okay, look on that diagram. Where am I? I am in the center of my wheelhouse. I am in my comfort zone. I am elated. I am rocking with joy. I have married the godliest woman on the face of the planet. Where is Pam? She's in tension. Notice? We went right outside her comfort. One word! Right outside her comfort. She's feeling tension. So she comes back and she says, well, honey, that's wonderful, but I really like the Caribbean. And I went, you dirty rat, you weren't asking. 
you set me up. You did that just so you could. And I felt the tension because we didn't go back to middle. Where'd we go? We went over to her side. And not only did we go over to her side, but now I'm in way tension. How did it get stolen in one word? I didn't even get to think about it. Wow, right? Now, when I hear Alaska, what do I hear? I hear outdoors. I hear wilderness. I hear gold panning. I hear fabulous fishing. I hear spectacular things. I hear getting out, of the, getting out of the city. What does my wife hear? Cold rocks, dirt, bugs, bears that eat you, and cold toilets. <laughs> right? My wife, when she said the Caribbean, what does she hear? Cruise, beautiful sunshine, beautiful port cities, shopping, snorkeling, shopping, wonderful times to get shopping. (laughs) What do I hear on a cruise? 700 more people on a boat I got to get to know and money flying out the window, right? (laughs) Wow, okay? So we actually had this, and what happens in this is it usually escalates as ours did. So if I'm going to be in tension over here, I'm going to pull it over to my side of the tension. Now, not far, but when I pull it over there and the discussion continued, where's Pam now? Almost in danger. See that? Butter right Well, you dirty chocolateite male. How could you put me in danger? I'm the wife you love. That's not very loving to do. So she pulls it back over to her side. All right? If we're going to be in danger, we're going to be in close to danger on my side. Where am I now? I'm in danger. I can't believe you did this to me. Boom, I get over here. Well, if we're going to be in danger, we're on danger on my side, and then this happens. Boom. Right? Do not go past go. Do not collect $200. Thanks for playing gong. Right? Have you ever gotten an argument like that over something you agreed upon? You started out agreeing, and at the end you're fighting, you can't figure out, how did we get from there to here? Now, this got really funny for Pam and I because we were really going at it, and then we stopped and said, this is totally dumb. It wouldn't matter if it was Alaska or the Caribbean. We have no money. <laughs> I was a youth pastor in a church, and, and we had lots of time, but... No money, and we looked at, and we actually busted out laughing, which probably turned it into a discussion. Um, we just started laughing, and then we went, "Oh no, what are we going to do for vacation?" We had no idea, and so we had, there's a whole nother story off of that, but um, it has to do with repentance, and I don't want to tell you that part. Okay, so <laughs> that'll be for another another sermon some other time. But <clears throat> this swing effect is something I think that we can relate to because what happens is we suddenly sense we're crossing barriers or boundaries and we don't even know where they are and we can't figure out how that ended up happening for us. So I want to take this a little farther because there's more to it than just this. In this, uh, these passages that we talked about, it talked about the battle within, but there's also the whole issue of warfare. And how does warfare work in this? And one of the things that, uh, frankly, I am baffled by is the... Uh, unawareness or ignorance in most couples about how spiritual warfare works within our marriage relationships. And a lot of times I'll talk to couples uh, when I ask a a young married couple or a a pre-engaged couple, I mean, what does spiritual warfare look like for you guys as a couple? I will just get, "Mm," right? Lights on, nobody, just this baffled look like, like what? 
Like there's not even a, a, a recognition that that's even a possibility. And I want to suggest that we have an incredibly uh, clever enemy. Usually when we think of spiritual warfare, we think of things like the exorcist, you know, and head spinning and vomit flying and demons jumping out and all that kind of stuff. But I have come to learn over the years that the deadliest form of warfare is subtle. Matter of fact, the more subtle it is, the more effective it is. If you don't even know he's there, then it's very easy for him to walk around in your world and tip things. And uh, we have got to become smarter as married couples about how warfare works. Here's how it works. The devil is very good at looking at human nature. He has studied human nature since Adam and Eve. And he's watched a lot of couples. There, there have been how many millions of marriages in the history of this planet that he has been able to watch over that time. And in the Bible, you can read a number of stories that are fantastic stories that show you how a spiritual warfare works. Just watch King David's life just as an example. But what happens is he watches these swings. And you know how sometimes it feels like all of a sudden there's this flare and you're just like, fool, right? And, and the voice comes to you, she said that to you? That is so disrespectful, right? And then what does he say to her? He's so unloving. If he loved you, he wouldn't say it that way. And what Satan does is he comes alongside and he just, see at the top swing there, there's that little red, he just bumps real subtly. You ever been walking down the sidewalk and somebody just barely brushed you and off the curb you go, right? It's like swinging your kids. Remember when you used to swing your kids and you'd catch them and if you did it just right, they wouldn't even know you're pushing them. They think they're swinging, but it's you keeping them going. That's what Satan does. He comes around, he sees this. He knows that Pam was probably trying to go back to the middle on vacation. But all he did as it came around that corner and swung, he just went, boop, just enough that it pushes you right past middle and takes you out into the tension zone. Well, gaining momentum, right? Things are picking up. The, a lot of times this is like a, a freight train uh, it takes a lot of effort to get a freight train going. But once the momentum of a freight train's going, how easy is it to stop a freight train? Very hard. And that's true when the spirit of argumentation takes place uh, in our marriages. It's often easy to get started. It's very hard to stop. And so Satan knows that. So when it comes around the other side, he comes on this side, he bumps again. And then he comes on this side and he bumps again. And pretty soon the momentum swinging, tempers flare, volume goes up, things get clipped, right? And we're caught in the midst of an argument, and usually there's very hurt feelings, and usually it takes a while to recoup, and we lose momentum, and uh, we're in trouble. When it gets to this last swing, here's a clever little step, and here's what happens to us, and this is why a lot of us are baffled. It gets to this last swing, it's now rolling, when it gets this last swing, he ducks out. He doesn't stay with it. He ducks out. Why? Because when it takes that last swing back and it blows up and you look around, who's the only people that are left to look at? You and your spouse. And then he comes on the back side of the coin. He's a fantastic cheap shot artist. He's a fantastic bat stabber and accuser. He's known as the accuser of the brethren. He comes on the backside, looks at the explosion, goes... Oh, 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 Christian. Ugh. Ooh, that sure didn't make Jesus look good, did it? Ooh, icky, guys. 
I don't think you can expect, you know, those people at church think you're really something. Boy, if they only knew how crappy you are. Oh, yuck. And what does he do? He erodes our confidence. He erodes our uh, respect and love for each other. He cheap shots us, then he slaps us on the backside, and we just get beat up. I can't tell you how many times I, at church uh, over the last 30 years sitting and looking at couples, and there's just this absolutely defeated look on a couple's face. If you, that's you, just look at the floor this morning, okay? Don't be able to know. Um, but just, oh, if we could just fix it at home. It's not at church where we need to fix it because we're on our best behavior most of the time. It's at home where it needs to be fixed. And so he comes and pounds us here on the backside. There's another factor, too, that um, fits into this that we have to consider, and it's what I call the fear factor. All of us are insecure. All of us are prideful. All of us have wounds. All of us have gaps inside of us in terms of how we relate. And so when this swing thing starts, there's some fear that plays into it. By the way, I came up with that long before the TV show, okay? So I own the rights to it. But I call this the fear factor. And as it starts swinging, there's fear. And if you've ever been on a swing where all of a sudden it's getting too out of control and you're like, whoa, I got to slow this down. It's kind of like that. And as you swing, notice as it gets farther out and farther out and farther out, the fear factor increases. Satan is great at working off our fears. You're not going to make it. Your marriage is going to fall. Yet God isn't answering your prayer. He's not talking to you. What are you going to do? Oh my gosh, this is terrible. You, you shouldn't put up with this. And he is a master at mimicking. And, and we think it's us talking to ourselves. But I want to say here today, there is another voice talking. And it is not you. And it is not God. There is another voice. And we have got to understand and get good at listening for that other voice because that voice is not your friend. That voice is not there to help you. That's the same voice that says, don't go to church in the morning. You should sleep in. Nothing's going to happen at church anyways. That's that same voice that says, oh, why, why should I give? God doesn't need the money. It's the same voice that, I mean, do you know that voice, right? We have an enemy of our souls that we've been naive about, and it's only going to escalate. And we have got to become wise in our marriages because he doesn't care when he takes us out. He just cares that he takes us out. So it doesn't matter if he takes you out in the first two or three years of your marriage. He doesn't care if he takes you out at year 25. Matter of fact, that's even better because you're 25, you've raised your kids, you've been a member of the church, you're a holy member of the Royal Society, and then you got divorced? Well, I guess that Christian thing really works well, doesn't it? He doesn't care. He does not care, and he never plays fair, and he's ruthless and vindictive and mean at heart. So what happens is, go back to this diagram from last week, you can see now that static that goes between the couples is the same kind of swing that we're talking, because you suddenly, it escalates, it gets into tension, it gets into danger, and we're in trouble, because we're looking at the respect filter and the love filter, and we think it's just us, but we aren't factoring in what the Bible calls Satan, who's the enemy of our souls. Now, sometimes is it just our flesh? Yes. Sometimes are we just curmudgeons? Yes. Sometimes are we just mean? Yes. Can we be nasty to each other? Yes. Can we cheap shot each other? Yes. It is well within our flesh to do that. Okay? But it doesn't take much for Satan to just go flick and kick it a little farther. 
And here's where this comes in when it comes to these filters. They can be flicked. They can distort or amplify. How does Satan distort or amplify our perception filters? Remember, guys, again, we're talking about respect. Gals, we're talking about love. Two different forms of communication. I want to suggest this to you this morning. See if this makes sense. He salts it with a spirit of contempt. Have you ever felt contempt towards your mate? Boy, can you believe I married her? Who could live with that woman? The guy's a Neanderthal. He never gets it. I'm tired of trying to communicate to him. He never understands. It's ridiculous. It's an endless story. And it goes on and on like that. He salts our marriages with a spirit of contempt. And that spirit of contempt then becomes the filter through which our communication is processed. And if it's processed through a spirit of contempt, does love ever have a chance? Does repentance ever have a chance? Does softening ever make sense? No. Because I have to defend myself. Now it's how long can I endure this? How long can I hold on? How can I get some space from them? Gee, if I could jump in the car and just go shopping for the afternoon, or if I could stay in the garage. If I just don't have to deal with them, maybe it'll be okay. But it's a spirit of contempt, and we have to understand Satan is really good at painting a contemptuous picture of our mate. And here's how you know it's not from God. If you ever stop long enough, whether you're in the car shopping or in the garage pouting, by the way, guys pout, okay, in the garage, silently, stomp their feet, turn on the sports station so it's loud enough they can't hear mumble under your breath. You mumbling it? No! Right? If you stop long enough and ask yourself, is that spirit from God? Is that spirit of contempt for my mate from God? The answer is invariably what? No. Then you have a choice. Am I going to respond to that and let it go? Or am I going to dig in and dig my heels? And here's where I want to take us this morning um, with this verse here. This is in 1 Peter. It says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Notice it's due time, not your time. For too many of us, it's my timetable and answer. And then if God doesn't answer my timetable, what do we get? We get a contemptuous spirit towards God. You ever had a contemptuous spirit towards God? Well, if that's the way you're going to answer, if you're just going to sit up in your heaven and be silent like my husband, then see if I respond to you too. That is unloving. If you can't change her, I mean, where's the holy? You can't speak to her, then I'm done. But it says in his time, humble yourselves, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. This is, guys, you've got to stand your ground. Too bad it isn't going your way. Wham. Grow up and be a man. Stop being a boy. Own it. You are there to protect your wife, to protect your marriage, to protect your family. You don't go off dabbling in, in, in porn. You don't go off dabbling in pouting. You don't go off whining to all your friends. You stand there. What can you do? Pray. 
Here's a concept. You go to your father. I do this with Pam. She's not always fair. I'm not always fair to her. When she's being unfair to me, I go out by the garbage cans and I go, God, that's your daughter. I cannot talk to her right now. (laughs) But I think she'll listen to you. And you need to speak to her because I think what she just did was really mean and hurtful, but I can't tell her that. I can't tell you how many times I've come to the house, she goes, honey, I've been a poo-poo to you. (laughs) Well, how do you know you've been a poo-poo to me? Because God told me. Oh, boom. You got to pray. You got to pray. Couples, why do you think Satan works so hard, subtly, incessantly over time to keep us as couples from praying with each other? Why do you think there's, it's so hard? Every time you get thought, gee, I should pray with my wife, it falls apart. He fears a praying church. He fears a united church. And he knows if he can keep us from praying together and keep us with a contemptuous spirit towards each other, we never really have to worry. He never has to worry about us. Because you know why? He knows we ourselves don't believe God's going to work, so he doesn't have to come on a Sunday because he knows we're sitting here in disbelief, even as we're sitting here. Because we have not prayed. We have got to pray. Matter of fact, I would tell you right now, at this point in history, another rabbit trail and tangent, but probably the most important era in the history of the church to be praying. Right now. Why do you think he goes after us? He does not want a praying church. But it says this, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want to teach you a warfare strategy this morning that is very effective. And I want to take you to Africa to do it. And this morning, I want to talk about lions, right? It says he prowls about like a roaring lion. Here's a, a pride of lions hiding behind some bushes. And on the other side of those bushes are some antelope, all right? On the other side over there are some more bushes, So here's what lions actually do in Africa. They will take and send across over on the other side, Old Gummer. Old Gummer is a worn out lion. His his claws are worn off. His teeth are gone. Uh, He's got arthritis in his joints. He can't run anymore. He's pretty much worthless. he's, He's kept around because he was once the leader of the pack, but now he's not anymore. But there's one thing Gummer can still do. Gummer can still roar, all right? And so what they do is they take Gummer and they send him around on a roundabout route, around a hill, out on the other side, and Gummer poises himself on the other side of those bushes. And when he does that, there's a signal, and on signal, Gummer roars, okay? Now, if you're an antelope and you hear a lion roaring from the thicket, what's your first natural instinctive response? Run! away from the roar. And if you do that, you run right into the jaws of death. How many times have you run from your fear and run right into the jaws of death for the trap that the enemy set for you? What should they have done? What they should have done is run towards the roar. Can Gummer hurt them? Can Gummer catch them? Can Gummer chew them? Can Gummer claw them? No. Okay? He can't do any of that stuff anymore. If they would have ran towards the roar, they would have been safe. And so many times, 
we run from our fears instead of face them and face them with the Lord. And if we would run into it, we would see that God did not intend that circumstance to kill it, kill us. He intended that circumstance so that we would stay alive. He did not bring us this far to kill us. And people say, oh, I'm sick of you saying that. But I'm telling you, you have to understand when we hit tough circumstances in life, he did not bring you that far to kill you. He came, brought you to that point to reveal something about himself that you never knew before. But if you run from him, if you run away from him, then you run right into the jaws of death. Howard Butt in his book, The Velvet Cover of Rex, says, find the place in your life that hurts and lean into it. That is exactly opposite of human nature. And yet we've got to learn to do that as a church. Why run towards Gummer? Why face the taunts and the accusations of the enemy? Here's why. Because Scripture tells us that when we were dead in our sins and in the uncertainties of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. God did something for us we couldn't do for ourselves. Amen? Awesome. You turned my life around in that song. But then it says this, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. The slate was wiped clean. No longer held, no longer guilty. No longer can an accusation be brought. And it says, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it on the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, or the principalities in another translation, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Satan is a defeated foe, and he knows it. Um, but it's a lot like poker playing. Uh, Young Life is going to have a poker night, and I'm going mad, invited me, and I'm excited. I haven't played poker since I was 20, so I don't even know if I remember how to do it, but should be fun. And um, first place prize is a trip to Hawaii. I'm thinking, oh, if God would just send me, I could take Pam to Hawaii. Awesome. Okay, I won't win, but it's fun to try. All right. Um, but in that, one of the key things in poker is what? Knowing how to bluff. If you can bluff well in poker, you can win a lot of hands where you don't have any cards at all, or you certainly don't have the cards to beat what the other person has in their hand. But if you can bluff them, they will fold under the pressure and they will never ever know what's actually in your hand. And that's what Satan constantly gets us to do is he threatens us and then we buckle and fold and we never even realize he's got no cards. It was stripped. It was taken at the cross. It was canceled. Jesus says he took the keys from the kingdom away from him and they now reside with the resurrected Christ. Satan's got no cards. And yet he plays like he's got all of them. And we have got to start calling his bluff. God brought you this far to kill you. God doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, he would have never let this happen. God isn't listening to you. Praying doesn't help. He's not listening. He's busy. He's got a lot of stuff. You ever heard those voices? You have got to call the bluff card. We have got to learn to call that and face that. And I'll guarantee you, whatever God teaches, he tests. So trust me, this week, you will run into tangible examples of this in your world, regardless of where you are, at home, in the neighborhood, at work. It won't matter. This will get tested this week. And so I want to leave us with this. How do we do this? The key is submission. 
The key is who's on the throne. You on the throne or Jesus on the throne? If you're on the throne, you're in trouble because you were never meant to be on the throne. You make a wonderful you, you make a lousy Jesus. Okay? Jesus was not there to be your consultant. Right? We're so good at hiring consultants these days. Jesus is the king. He's on the throne. And if he's the king, then we have to submit to them. And this verse in James says this, submit yourselves then to God. The verse before that says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a universal principle. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's the first step? Almost always why we fail is we fail to come to God and submit to him. So we try to resist the devil and then we get our butts kicked. Yes, I said that. The first hand is to realize humility is to come to him and submit ourselves and humble ourselves. That's the way of tenderness. That's the way of compassion. That's the way of humility. That's the way of patience. Oh, we love those three, don't we? Fabulous. Be patient. Be humble. Be compassionate. Submit. And then resist the devil. Why? Because then when you come into the sanctuary and you come and listen to the Lord, then you can tell what's a lie and what's true. And you realize you're being lied to. Watch this week and see if you pick up on the conversation. Let's pray. Father, I lift this up to you for us. You are able. I, I release you to test that in any way you see fit this week. I pray you would give us eyes to see that we would hear the enemy lying and we'd recognize and be able to say chapter and verse. Is there any chapter and verse that backs it up? If it isn't, then Lord, we shouldn't listen to it and we should reject that voice. Work on our spirits, Lord. Be merciful, be kind, but help us track with truth. Help us to track. You're the one that holds the cards. You're the resurrected one, not Satan. Lord, and I pray for your victory this week and eyes to see, and I ask this in your name. Amen.